We're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. Good to see our friends here visiting. Even if you came uh, for the baptism, thank you. Hope to see you guys come back. We love you. Families, we love those of you who are here. We love everyone. You're special. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. The app is working, but the notes are not there because the website is down, and the app can't get it unless the website sends it. So for whatever reason, I called up GoDaddy today, and uh, it was a no-go for GoDaddy. They said they had problems with our server, but it should be up, and uh, you can always go back and check out these notes that you're seeing here right now. I'm going to talk about forgiveness. How many know it's good to forgive? How many know it's good to be forgiven? I mean, doesn't that feel good when people forgive you, when they say, I understand, I forgive, uh, I will look past this? We're going to talk about that today. Let's look at it. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You see here Peter wanting to know, where do I draw the line and stop forgiving? Seven times, and Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter. You got to add some numbers to that seven. He says right here in response, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. King James says 70 times seven makes it a much bigger number. Maybe it's a variant here. We don't always uh, understand how they tracked with numbers. Some of the things that go in translation can get a, a bit disputed over numbers. Doesn't mean we don't have it. It's just one or the other. So the NIV puts here uh, 77 times, or you could take the King James 70 times seven times. Once again, numbers can be a bit difficult as we're translating. But how many know if Jesus rebuts him saying seven with 77, Jesus is not going to say, now 78, that's it. So the 490 where I tend to be in the classic versions like we talked about in our other lessons, I tend to, I tend to like go where the King James is at. So if there's a dispute over where it should be, I tend to go, let's go King James, let's go the, the more classic text, and that's where I kind of settle. Now, what we see here is that Peter is looking for that line, and Jesus says, really, that line does not exist. What I always like to do during these times is help you as a pastor who truly loves you because I never want, if you are in an abusive situation, for someone to use this as a way to keep abusing you. So whether you're abused by your parents or you're in a spousal abusive relationship or even on your job, we are here to be your advocates. We are here to help you. Do not let somebody say, the Bible tells you to keep forgiving me, so you're supposed to stay with me. No, you come to the elders. Let's put that joker in jail, okay? Let's have mommy and daddy go to the clink tonight if they're hurting you, okay? It's going to get real. Can it get real today? I'm going to be honest with you. There is forgiveness, but there are still consequences. There is nothing, and here's the big hang-up. There is nothing when we forgive that take away their consequences. So I want you guys to get this. Forgiveness is not just for little sins and the big sins you can hold against them. No, in the, in the mind of God, sin is sin, but there are different consequences. So I want to use some of the most horrendous examples we can think of, and then I want to ask you, should you forgive if you were in those situations? If you were in the African-American slave trade, should you forgive your slave master according to Jesus? Yes. If you were a part of the German Holocaust as a Jew or being taken in as a resistor, should you forgive the Germans and what they did? 
Yes. But should they also be punished for that? Both in this life and the world to come. Everybody get that. When we forgive Nazi Germany, that doesn't mean we, we don't take them to court and hold them in, accountable for what they did. I mean, I want you to listen to me. If you have hurt somebody, I forgive you, but I want you to go to jail for that consequence, okay? And even if you're an abuser, as I said before, and I picked the most like extreme examples because I like to wake you guys up. If there were somebody here today in this church that had abused their children to the point where that would deserve the death penalty, I would say amen to that. I would be like in the Wild West, the guy with the little collar coming to the person, you raise to meet your maker, son. You're about ready to get hanged. I would be that guy, and then I would be right there and hit the lever because I believe in consequences. I believe in that. So here's the hang-up where everybody that I generally talk to about this gets hung up. They go, how can I forgive? They deserve to be punished. Listen, you are not forgiving them to take away the consequence of their bad behavior. You're forgiving them, everybody get this, to participate in the two-lane highway of grace. If you are not extending grace, grace is not coming. Can I show you that? We've actually already been there. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Anybody know the Lord's Prayer? It's really the Our Father. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. That's where we see Jesus pray in his own position as son to the Father. So that would be Jesus' prayer technically. But we all know it as the Lord's Prayer. But it's technically our prayer. And it starts with our Father. What is the significant part I want you to see for today? Go to verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you, do you see the difference of tense right there? Forgive me my debts now as I'm asking, Father, as I have already forgiven the debts of those who have sinned against me. See, Lord, I'm participating in the two-lane highway of forgiveness. I am being forgiven, and then I am forgiving. I have been forgiven, and I am forgiving. Does everybody see that? I want to wake you up just a little bit more. Do you know that your abuser, because I'm taking extreme examples, do you know that your abuser, the person who participated in the African slave trade, the German soldier at the concentration camp can go to heaven, but the Jews he killed go to hell, the slaves he traded go to hell, and you as the one being abused can go to hell while your abuser goes to heaven? Do you know that's also true? Can I explain to you why that's true? I'm going to do it through the parable of Jesus that he gave directly after his statement. I'm going to prove it to you that you can miss forgiveness even though they were worse than you were. You can miss being forgiven and they can be forgiven of the great sin they've done because they participated in the highway of forgiveness and you resisted it. So don't let your abuser receive forgiveness on death row or wherever they go to serve their consequence. Don't let them humble themselves and participate in grace and you go to hell because you didn't want to participate in grace. Let's go to the parable of Jesus and see if it can make, make sense to that, to that powerful statement I just said there. Uh, the parable comes directly after this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to, to do the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let's just get this number in our mind. 
10,000 bags of what? Gold. Okay. So here's how scholars break this down. They estimate that one bag of gold is worth about $350,000. Has anybody ever watched the show Gold Rush where those guys are digging for gold or one like it? How many have seen them bring in a couple hundred thousand dollars of gold? So it's, it's not too much to imagine that a bag could hold $350,000 worth of gold. And guess what? This guy owed his master 10,000 of those bags. So 350,000 times 10,000 is 3 billion, 3 billion. To put this in perspective to what we're dealing with today, this would be like, let's say, Bill Gates loaning you some money in Silicon Valley to start up your own business, and he's going to give you $3 billion because after all, he's got about $70 billion himself. This is some big moving going on here. You guys tracking with me? That's what this guy owes him. Maybe he tried to make the next, you know, MySpace, so he borrowed $3 billion from Jeff Bezos, who's got almost $100 billion, and Jeff's like, okay, let's give Facebook a run for their money, and now it's not working. This is the scenario we find ourselves in in their culture. Theirs was probably land or product or something like that. It says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay pay the debt. Everybody go, "Ah." let's put on the brakes here because we have discussed slavery in the Bible. And the moment we see things like in the epistles where Paul says, slaves obey your master, we get a vision of Kuta Kinte getting beat by a white slave owner in the South. And we go, my goodness, how could the Bible ever say Kuta Kinte obey Bubba? Let's kill Bubba, take the whip and have it out on him. Okay. Did anybody ever watch Durango? With uh, Quentin Tarantino, how many got some satisfaction out of that, right? It's just like, yeah, you give it to them, you know? Because every time I watch those movies, like 12 Years a Slave or whatever, I just want to take that whip and pimp slap that guy with it and just whip him and whip him and whip him. How dare you treat Kuta Kinte like that, you know? So we put that in this place, but it doesn't belong. The slavery of the Bible where it was like obey your masters is mostly from debt, You see, in that culture, if you couldn't pay debt, because how did you get stuff? You got it from people. There wasn't like a grocery store. There was a person you would get your your groceries from or certain vegetables from, and then there would be another person you would get a horse from. And you couldn't just go to them and go, well, I can't pay you back for it. I can't make my payments like some of y'all do with your car, and you find the boot on it or it's gone, you know. And I'm like, why didn't you got that car anymore? Oh, they came and took it. Who came and took it? The people you were supposed to pay? You know, and like you praying the devil away, like, devil, get out of my life. Get no, how about you get some wisdom? How about you pay your bills? How about you try that? Amen. Pay your bills and they won't take your car. So in, in, in those days, instead of doing that kind of stuff, uh, you know, like bankruptcy and all that, did you had to you had to be sold to the people you owed money to. And if they didn't want you, they would sell you to the government so that you can make money for them and then pay them back, which we'll hear about in a moment. And let me just say this last thing about slavery. The same context is actually used of us and Jesus. So whatever we think about slavery, we can't think of it in the context of this wicked thing that's an injustice because Jesus is said to be our master and we are his slave. Put it in the context here. We had a debt we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid it for us. Now we belong 
to Jesus and we working for the Lord. Come on. See, that's how it works. Do you get it? And, and you, can, you can understand the Bible better that way than to inserting this kind of slave practice into the context. The, the, the slave practice here, as we just learned about culture, was primarily dealing with debt. Dealing with debt. So he goes, man, I don't want to be sold. I don't want my children to be sold. He's, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. He begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Just think about that. He didn't say, I'll give you more time to pay me back. He literally said, it's good. You know, go ahead. Just keep the $3 billion. How many know that's a generous man? And how many know Jeff Bezos could do that right now? How many know Jeff? Who even knows who Jeff Bezos is? Have I lost you on that? Jeff Bezos owns Amazon. He's the richest man in the world right now. Okay. How many know Jeff Bezos could forgive a $3 billion debt if you want to? He could. Mark Zuckerberg could. He's, I think he's got like 30 or 40 billion. Yeah, no problem. People with a lot of money can still be generous and kind. Never forget that. Just because somebody has a lot of money, don't hate on them because of that. It's the heart that matters, not what's in the bank account. It's good to have friends in high places, okay? So this was a good man. He's a rich man. He's a fair man. He did something generous for the person. You know, maybe the business had failed. He, he, he couldn't get it all together. And he just said, you know what? Instead of me hunting you down for it, it's good. Just go on your way. Live a good life. Verse 28, but when that servant who had been forgiven of a $3 billion debt went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Now, notice this. He had servants, not slaves in the context. There is a slight difference here. The servant would simply be an employee, somebody that can come, they can go. They don't owe a debt to the person. So in this kind of context, a servant would be someone by choice working for you, and they could leave at any time. Somebody say employee. Okay, so now you understand the context. So he finds one of his employees, and he found this person who owed him a 100 silver coins, and they estimate that to be about $12,000. Now think of this in the context that we're using now. One, the guy is like a Bill Gates giving $3 billion to some tech startup where lots of money is going to get poured into it. That guy can't pay it back. But he has a friend, somebody that works for him, that wanted to start maybe their own business, maybe wanted to start washing cars in the neighborhood, a landscaping business, or wanted to get a cafe going. And they say, hey, do you have $12,000? I can make this happen. How many entrepreneurs are here and have made something happen with a little bit to nothing? Come on, somebody. He took that money and he said, I'm going to do something with it. He had good motives. We're supposed to see that in the story. Maybe he's going to sell a, a start a fruit selling business, etc. And so he had good motives. It didn't work out. And the, and the principle we're supposed to get is it's in the same way he did his best as the other guy, but it didn't work out, but it was on a smaller scale. But instead of that guy being cool with the $12,000 debt after he's been forgiven for $3 billion, he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Do you see the difference of attitude there? Everybody catch it. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Sounds familiar, right? That's what he did with the person he owed money to. He falls to his knees, begins to beg. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Now look at verse 30. Here it is. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison where he could pay back the debt. So everybody get this. 
In those days, your debt could be forgiven. That would be the best thing to happen. Or you could be made a slave to the person you owed the debt. That's not, not the worst thing, but it's not necessarily the best thing. And then the worst thing is now you are in jail and you've got to work it off by working for the government and you don't have your freedom. He gave the guy the worst consequence. Does everybody get that? Come on, somebody say, I'm listening. Now, Jesus tells us the end of the story. Verse 31, remember, this is our master telling us this. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Everybody go, amen. That's what he should have did, right? But in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be what? tortured. Oh, there's another one that can be added to here. Go to jail and be tortured to pay off your debts. He said, you're going to jail and you're going to be tortured until you pay back all that you owe. Now watch the connection here. Everybody get this. Look at the connection. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You will literally be tortured and locked up if you don't forgive. Where do we call the place of torture as a jail, as a place of confinement where you can never leave? What do we call that place? Hell. Jesus is teaching us, if you don't forgive, you will go to hell because I forgave you. That's how it works. So when we look at our lives, what do we do so often? We now want to put on a scale all of our sins of unforgiveness and compare them to all the sins of abuse and the pain in the world. And we want to say our sins of unforgiveness are nowhere near as bad as these. So therefore, I should get let out. I should be okay. And what Jesus is teaching us here is one sin on your scale of unforgiveness takes away all forgiveness. And I got a couple examples to tie this in, and then maybe we'll go to another scripture or two. But everybody get this. Imagine you are being pulled by a truck in a broke-down car by a chain with many links. And as it's pulling you, you are not at all able to move without the force and the power of the truck. Are you guys getting the example? If one of those chain links break, can you move? No. So everybody get this. We look at those chains as acts of forgiveness of God. And if we're not giving the forgiveness back, one of those links can break. And now we are separated from the great power of God to save us. And so you may be saying to yourself, I haven't broken as many chains as Hitler. And that may be very true because if Hitler doesn't receive forgiveness, as we teach in this church, because the Bible teaches it, there are gradients of hellfire and punishment that he'll face that you won't. It will be worse off for him, in other words, than it will be for you. But both of you will still go to hell. Just like there are gradients and levels of reward in heaven, we all don't get rewarded the same. There is gradients and punishment. And so Jesus... Jesus is saying, it's not 10 million sins of unforgiveness and all of this that sends you to hell. It's one, and then everything else after that is a part of your punishment. So take something as noble as being hurt and feeling hurt because someone did you wrong. If you make that hurt your unforgiveness, 
you've broken your chain of forgiveness that God has given you. Because I don't know about you, but I need God's grace to pull me through life. I need that chain to stay connected to me, amen? And so it doesn't matter what you do to me. I'm not breaking that chain. As the old timers used to say, not forgiving somebody is like drinking to poison yourself, hoping the other person dies. You're not hurting them in your unforgiveness. You're just going to the same hell they are. I want to go to heaven with Jesus. So once again, does my forgiveness, does anywhere in here, the forgiveness equal what they did was okay? It never equals it's okay and there is no consequence. But what we have to understand is we are responsible to forgive. Here's another example. Imagine you have the greatest plane or the greatest aircraft uh, the military can make, you know, or the greatest ship. They have fuel lines. Those fuel lines run the engine. And those fuel lines may be small, may be insignificant in size compared to the engine. But if you disconnect that fuel line, is the fuel going to the engine? No, what's going to happen? It's going to crash. It's going to sink. Your car is going to stop. For you to be in a functional, successful relationship with God, you must be receiving the grace of God and giving and extending the grace of God. That is the principle here. But the devil, he is a sneaky liar. As one author put it, John Bevere, that bitterness is the bait of Satan. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. I see we got some time. How many want to work the word? Come on, let's go to Hebrews 12, 15. Oh, it's so sneaky. I use the examples of a fuel line or of a chain. Look at the example that Paul uses here, who I believe is the author of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile what? Defile many. How many know your bitterness defiles many people? All the people you spread it to, all the people in your family that you hurt because of it because you're not healthy, you're not better, you're bitter. You being bitter hurts you and the people around you. And the Bible says, watch out that you don't get a weed, a root of it. So use the example that the authors of scripture give us. Imagine your fruitful vine is growing. Can a hundred weeds take it down? Yep, can take it down. Can one weed take it down? Yes. Do you get my point? It doesn't matter in the sense of destruction, whether it's one or a hundred, where that matters is in the sense of consequence and punishment. Like I said, the ones who do more sins have more punishment in hell. Those who through Christ's grace do more good works have more reward in heaven. That is a true fact. But listen, you have a choice to whether or not you participate in the two-lane highway of grace or if you become resistant to it and allow bitterness to choke you out. And that's why Jesus took this so serious is he's not trying to have us overlook people's mess. There may be situations in life you've actually got to confront. You've, you've got to deal with it. Uh, for example, I forgive people in the church all the time, but I still go deal with them. I'm like, hey, man, I forgive you. I heard you did X, Y, and Z in the youth group. But hey, as a youth leader, I want to sit down with you. I want to make sure you don't do this anymore. Possibly we got to move you to an adult life group now. The teenagers aren't the best place for you to be leading. If you've been wiling out, right, like I got to watch out for our youth. See, I've forgiven them, but I'm confronting. I'm, I'm, I'm in the situation helping it. And we talked about that last week. It's problem solving. 
You know, if your brother sins against you, go to them personally. Well, if they say, I'm sorry, that's good. You forgive them. But if they say they don't want to change and it's just the way they are and just deal with it, no, that's when you've got to bring along some more leaders and go, hey, the issue now is not whether or not we forgive you. The issue is now whether or not you want to change. Do you want to be different? Do you want to act as if you have received grace of God? Because if we've received the grace of God, we extend the grace of God. If we've truly been forgiven of sin, we won't love to live in our sin. Can I get an amen? We will see, thank you, we will see a transformation of behavior because we are seeing what God is doing in our lives and it's resulting in us living differently. When I saw as a uh, 18-year-old young adult, November 5th, 1995, all the sin that Jesus took from me I understood at that point that I must forgive you of your sins. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Joe, you were pretty bad. You owe society quite a bit of debts. You know, you were a drug dealer. You did all of this. But hold on. What about the most innocent person, Jesus coming as the son of God into flesh, dying by the hands of his own creation? That would be like you going into the the Simpsons movie and letting Bart Simpson crucify you. You know, the creator comes into the creation and allows them to crucify him. And he's the most innocent. So let's, let's get past some of your, like, I'm so innocent. Maybe I don't need to forgive these people. No. Look at the most innocent person, the most person done wrong in the entire world, had it twisted him backwards, done against him like that. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what do a lot of us say back to that? Oh, my haters know what they do. My coworker, no, 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 she know what she she knows what she does. Oh, my friend, they knew exactly what they did. They went right on Facebook. They found me. They tagged me. They put up, put up all that. What are we missing there? What are we missing there? Of course, they had an act of volition, free will. But what don't they know? What is Jesus saying on the cross? They don't know. They don't know the consequence. You see, in their mind, even the abuser with a narcissistic, you know, uh, 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 attitude and all of these psychotic mindsets that could abuse people, they still don't know that they're actually going to a real place called hell. I've even talked to the, you know, the kind of smart aleck person that says, I know I'm going to hell and I can't wait. I'm like, well, let's just try right now how much you're going to like hell. Put your hand over a fire and see how long you keep it there. You see, really what you're doing is just acting proud and boastful. You really don't want hell. Not the hell of the Bible. What you want is your own way, and you're denying the consequence of the torture that's awaiting you. Out of their self-idolatry, they become self-deceived. Always remember this. Idols deceive, and we can become our greatest idol. Right? Idols deceive. They teach false things. And we can become our greatest idol and become deceived by ourselves. As the one person said, the lies we often tell the loudest and the most frequent are the ones we tell ourselves. Self-deception is real. And what Jesus is doing here is waking us up. And if we go back to the passage, please. And he's saying, let me get this to you, Peter. Peter, it's not just a thing you count on your finger seven times. It's something you do until you go to heaven. It goes on for infinity, in other words. I'm not willing to miss heaven in my relationship with God because of what someone has done against me. I want to live with a pure heart, free from the weed of bitterness. 
And so in closing, how can we do this? Well, number one today, because some of you might really have the fear of God in you, and you might be like, man, who did I not forgive? I don't want to go to hell because this is not going to be good for me. God help me. Who did I not forgive? Somebody in traffic. Did I not forgive the person that did my taxes? Whatever. Before we get into condemnation and go, oh, my gosh, I might have missed it and don't know, let's stop and literally pray it the way Jesus taught us to pray it. Everyone just say it with me. Father... Forgive me of my sins as I have forgiven those who sinned against me. Mean that. And then you can privately talk to the Lord and say, God, are there specific ones? Like, God, are there ones you want to bring to my attention? Because I'm listening. And we believe that the sheep hear his voice. So you don't have to walk around in condemnation and the devil telling you, oh, there's somebody you didn't forgive, but you forgot about it. And now you're going to hell. It doesn't work like that. God knows our frame is but dust. We are forgetful. And so when we pray it in general, we're covered if we mean it. I mean, I'm being serious here. When I first got saved, I couldn't even remember half the sins I did. I was just like, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, Lord, you know? And sometimes when I get in an argument with my wife, I know I just say forgive me, but I know I did about 10 things. You know, sometimes you got to name them off one by one. Other times it's just forgive me for the last hour. Last hour, hit delete. I know I was wrong, right? We've been there before, and God is patient with us. Sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and I believe God will pick out individual situations. And I want to say this, I want to say this as, as an asterisk at the bottom, and that is sometimes you will have to go and make up with people. That does not mean, as I always like to say, the extreme situations. You, you don't owe it to go to that person and say, you know, I forgive you for abusing me as a child. Some people, you got to give the gift of goodbye, leave them between uh, this, just them and God. But I'm saying asterisk. In prayer, there may be some restoration. There may be some people you're separated from because you weren't actually forgiving. And now as a Christian, as you forgive, God may reconcile. And that's a whole nother message on reconciliation and restoration. Here's a couple hints on how to do it right. Number one, never compromise. So anything that would involve you going back into that person's life, that would involve you compromising, lying, you know, not telling on them or any of those kinds of things, God is never going to ask you to be restored based on your compromise. The second thing, God is never going to ask you to be put into another dangerous situation just so you can ease their conscience. You don't owe them that, right? That's between them and God. They need to get right with God. Write you a long letter and say, now forgive me, and if you never let me in your life, that's okay. And I do that too, right? I've met the abusers here. And they go, I abused somebody. I did this. And I'm like, okay, follow the law, do all of these things. And whenever that's done, now write a letter. And sometimes I tell them in jail, write the letter to the spouse you abused. Write the letter. And then you let them know it's on them. But never uh, make them uh, hang in in the balance of your manipulation. Like, I'm so broken now, and unless you come and give me forgiveness, I'll never feel like I'm, I'm the good person or I'm going to kill myself. Listen, anybody that kills themselves out of a manipulation towards you is still going to hell. You are not responsible for that no more than if they killed somebody else out of manipulation. Somehow we think when they kill themselves, that self-murder is different than the murder of somebody else. No, it's a murder of a life, and you don't have the right to take your own life. Okay, so don't ever be manipulated by people's emotions. But like I said, there may be times of restoration. So number one, never compromise your character, your Christian faith, your morals. Number two, never go into a dangerous situation to be restored. And then number three, never go with expectations other than I'm just open to what God has. Don't be like, well, we were best friends. We hurt each other. And then now I forgive you. And we're best friends again. 
you know, or my mom was a bad mom and I had to be raised by my grandma and now I finally forgive my, my mom and my mom's going to be my mom again. Don't, don't come with that. Just come with the open heart to whatever God does. Otherwise, you may be disappointed because they may keep sinning against you. And just because you're commanded to forgive them 70 times 7 doesn't mean you've got to keep hanging out with them. Sometimes you've got to wrap in a bow the gift of goodbye and just put it under their Christmas tree and go, this is what I'm doing for myself in 2020. It's not hanging out with you. I forgive you, but I ain't hanging out with you anymore. And if they have a problem with that, have them talk to me. Amen. To say it in a serious way, we have to look at some of the darkest times of, of, of our history. One of them that comes to my mind as the band comes, please, is Corey Tim Boone. She was a woman living in the Netherlands during the time of World War II when the Nazis were taking over Europe. They were hiding Jews because that's the, that was the target of the, the Nazis at that time. Her family hid a whole bunch. They got caught. And they got put to the same concentration camps as the Jews. Her father died there, and so did her sister. Her sister said one of the most powerful statements uh, that I've heard, and if I misquote it, uh, please forgive me, you can look it up. But as she was dying in the concentration camp, the sister said, there is no pit so deep and dark that God's hand of love cannot reach into. And that's so comforting, right, when, our, when we're in the midst of it. So, I mean, they really dealt with some real torment at that time. Well, Corey Tim Boone, as a young girl, eventually made it out of there as, as the, the Allied forces won the war and delivered them. And she became a Christian missionary, and she would travel around the country. Predominantly, where she loved to go was the persecuted nations. So she would go to places in Africa where they were persecuted as Christians or in the Middle East. And one time when she was old, she was back in her hometown in the Netherlands, and at the end of one of her sermons... An old man walked up to the front to shake her hand. And he said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was a worker at the concentration camp your family was in. She said at that moment, it felt like the life just left her body. She knew that she had forgiven and had to forgive, and she was teaching forgiveness almost her whole life now. But she was afraid that one day she would meet one of them and how she would respond. Could she forgive the monsters that she had to endure the torment from and watch her own family die? She said at that moment, she just began to rely on the strength of God. And then the man said, would you forgive me? I've come to know Jesus now, and I'm sorry for the wickedness I've done. Now, I want everybody to get this. Corey Tim Boom, the amazing missionary who suffered innocently, who went through that just torment of Nazi Holocaust, at that moment, if she would not extend her forgiveness, she now would be in danger of hell, and the man that tortured her and her family would be going to heaven because of his acceptance of the grace. But at that moment, she said, I forgive you. For you knew not what you did. I forgive you. And she said they both broke down and cried. Now, if I would have been the pastor, I would have been like, sir, now we're going to put you before the war tribunals. You're going to serve the rest of your life in jail. She forgives you, but we're taking you right down here to the United Nations. But do you get my point? Do you get the big picture here? It's a two-lane highway. Don't stop on one side and expect the other side to keep coming. Let it flow. Let grace flow through your life. 
The Bible says you'll be offended much in this life. But a proverb also says it's to a person's glory to overlook the offenses. Not everything's a big deal, y'all. I think we've become so sensitive in life, you know. A lot of us, we're just making too many issues main issues. Learn to overlook some of these things in your life. Amen? Learn to give people forgiveness. Listen, I'm not talking about every big thing in your life, but I'm saying learn to give people the kind of forgiveness that when they come up to you and they say, man, I'm sorry I said that about you in the meeting and then I did all this and that, that you can honestly look back at them and go, what? I don't even remember that, man. That's cool. I forgive you anyway. How many married couples are in this place where a spouse came to you at some time and asked for forgiveness and you literally had to accept it and pretend you remembered, but you didn't? Honey, remember when I did that thing that one time and I did, I'm like, no, not really, but okay, I forgive you, you know. It's like, you were right. I'm, I'm glad I was right, but I don't even remember what I was right about, you know. I want to get to the point where, where it's the small things that go quickly from my mind. I've got too much good to focus on. And then those things that do take time, they do take attention, I want to come to them with a heart of forgiveness, and if I have to, as a pastor, see, I'm a leader. And if I have to deal out consequences, I do it out of love. If you're a boss and you have to fire, you do it out of love. You get what I'm saying? Whatever you do as a part of you being the one that delivers consequences, you do it with clean hands and a pure heart. I, I love you, man. I forgive you, but we're going to go this way now. And I think what Jesus, and I really believe this, is what Jesus is telling us is that when you do that, forgiveness in your life is that much sweeter because you appreciate it. Let me say this last thing. As I, and I just wanna see if there's anybody else in here. As I've been serving God over 20 years, I now realize more what he forgave me of than I did the first day I asked him for some forgiveness. Does anybody relate to that? I now know, wow, I was terrible. I look at some of you young people and I'm like, you weren't even half as bad as me and I'm already annoyed at you, you know? I'm like, man, you love me, Jesus? I'm annoyed at these people and you loved me? Oh, Jesus. See, when we know, come on, go back to the story. When the woman breaks open the jar of her expensive perfume over Jesus' feet before the burial, we're getting there. They go, why does she do that? It's such a waste. And he goes, oh, those who have been forgiven of much, love much. Has anyone here been forgiven of much and loves much? Would you stand up today? Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you, Father. Altar workers, would you come, please? Here's a